Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today is a retired medical doctor and author of Making the Rounds, Defying Norms in Love and Medicine, which garnered a starred review in Kirkus Reviews and was among Kirkus's best 100 indie books of 2022. She writes articles for many publications and magazines, and NPR recently interviewed her. She lives with the love of her life on an island in the Pacific Northwest where she enjoys other people's dogs, big nature, and her second career as an author. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Patricia Grayhall. Thank you, Julia. I'm happy to be here. Patricia, I can tell from your resume the answer to this question, but our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Well, as you can imagine, um, being a medical doctor and practicing full-time and running my own uh, consulting company, medical consulting company, was a full-time job. And while I had published uh, medical articles and book chapters, I'd never written anything personal, nor did I have necessarily the inclination to do so. But when my partner and I were downsizing uh, in 2019, I came across a box that I hadn't looked at for 40 years. And it was, it had my uh, personal journals and uh, letters from the 1970s, the late 60s, 1970s, when I um, had an illegal Mexican abortion prior to Roe, uh, came out as a lesbian in San Francisco, and trained to be a doctor when it was um, pretty much an all male profession. I thought. Before I toss these in the burn barrel, which is what we were doing with all our old tax returns, etc., I um, decided I should summarize this. So I started writing, and uh, early on, I showed some of my writing to uh, a close friend, and she read it, and it told me that uh, while my personal story is unique. Um, it has relevance beyond the personal, especially now. Um, now that you know the uh, women's reproductive freedom is under siege, um, and uh, 
there's uh, increasing backlash in many parts of the country against uh, LGBTQ right, uh, human rights. So now my friend, my friend is a, um, she's a s straight woman, quite a bit younger than I, married to a rock star in the uh, Music Hall of Fame, and she cares for an autistic child. So her life experience and mine is very different. But she convinced me that, um, that my story reveals universal truths about us all. Because most of us uh, want to love and be loved. Uh, most of us want to um, have friendship and belong. And most of us want to do meaningful work. But if uh, we're told that who we love is wrong and um, what we want to do with our lives can't happen because we're the wrong sex or the wrong color, Life is difficult, and we may try to change who we are or relinquish our dreams just in order to belong. So I wanted to write my book to inspire others, readers, to, to live authentic lives and to follow their dreams. Well, I think you've certainly done that, and you've accomplished your goal. Once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Well, as I hadn't written anything personal before, I didn't feel that I had the skills to convey my story to readers on a visceral level um, to allow them to walk in my shoes, essentially. And so I felt that I needed some skills. So I took courses at Hugo House in Seattle, and I hired a writing coach from Seattle University. And uh, I, I, I wrote. And as my skills increased, I decided to take a six-month uh, memoir writing course with uh, Brooke Warner and Linda Joy Myers. And during that time, Brooke was my mentor, and we had to submit so many words each uh, or every other week. And I submitted three or four times that <laughs> And by the end of it, uh, Brooke had read my entire manuscript, and, and you know, there was a, an awful lot of reading <laughs> on it. And um, I wasn't sure at that point whether she actually liked it. Um, but I scheduled a phone call so we could have a conversa conversation about what I might do with it, because I wasn't at all convinced that I wanted to publish it. It was pretty personal. My partner's a very private person. Um, and I just uh, wasn't sure at all. So we, we had a conversation, and she said, well, you know, you can get an agent, uh, you can query um, traditional publishers, uh, you can self-publish, or we can publish it at She Writes Press. <laughs> so I was pleased that she thought it was that good, because She Writes Press is a very well-regarded hybrid publisher. 
And I wasn't all, at all inclined to uh, spend time trying to find uh, an agent or, you know, querying people and waiting and waiting and getting rejected. I just didn't want to do any of that. So, plus, you know, I was 71 years old. <laughs> I didn't have time, I felt. So, uh, I went with She Writes Press, and I'm very happy I did. Well, we've only heard great things from them, and every person I interview just, you know, sings the praises of the community that they build for the women who are involved mm -hmm. in, in the writing community there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the community is great, and I've learned so much from my fellow authors, and um, plus, you know, friendships have developed, and it's been, that's been one of the, the best aspects of it. What do you think is the most challenging part of your artistic process? It's, it's the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. I enjoy editing. Um, it's, it's in the editing process that I can see my story take shape, much like a sculptor with their uh, marble. And, and I, uh, you know, I can make it shine, you know, in the editing process. So I think that's most, it's both the most challenging and the most enjoyable. That's great. And the people that I interview who love editing, I think, you know, have the greatest chance of success in this industry because you, you have to know that writing is rewriting. <laughs> Absolutely. Are you still writing after this book? Do you have another book in you? I am. Uh, well, when I first started writing, my my partner was not very happy with me sitting with my back to her at my computer, writing about my twenty-something love life. So, so, uh, so in self-defense, I suggested that we write a novel together, uh, which we did. And then she caught the writing bug, and um, she went on to write her own book and self-publish it, and she's got another in progress. And uh, after, you know, my memoir was launched and I got through the initial flurry of, of publicity, then I uh, re took this out again, and uh, I've been working on it, editing it, and uh, hope to uh, publish this novel, which is a different writing experience and memoir. It really is. Fiction is a whole different animal, but how exciting for you to inspire your partner to become a writer as well. Yes, it, we, it makes for interesting dinner conversation. Speaking of publicity, have you found anything that works or even that didn't work? I did hire a publicist, and as um, most of your authors will know, uh, even big traditional publishing houses rely on their authors to do most of their publicity. And um, that was certainly the case with She Writes. And so I did hire a publicist, and there was um, an initial flurry of um, 
magazine article placements, uh, podcast interviews. Um, I also, on my own, um, got involved in some panel discussions. And, uh, and, and, of course, I had that NPR interview and a couple of other radio interviews as well. So that was all well and good. I don't know how well it worked. Um, and uh, I also uh, have done several book club discussions where they've read my book and, I, and I'm there to discuss it with them. I enjoy that. I think my uh, interactions with readers, either in person or on Zoom, have been the most effective for me in terms of getting the word out there about my book. And uh, with regard to, to uh, advertising, I, I've done some Facebook ads, but I haven't had much luck with Amazon ads. Now, publicity is, is certainly difficult for a lot of writers because writers want to be sitting at that desk writing. They don't want to put themselves out there. So a lot of us do have publicists to help us along the way. But, you know, with memoirs or with books that have certain topics, it's easier to receive publicity. I know um, you could certainly talk about the second wave of feminism or your career as a gay medical doctor and things like that will certainly get the interest of radio and television. And I had the topic of adoption. I was an adopted child, so I could talk about that, especially now with all the women's issues swirling around us. So, you know, those topics help to be able to promote ourselves. But if you simply write a romance novel, you know, I, I think you have to really really market that in a different way than, than topical discussions. Yes, well, I guess we'll discover how to do that with our romance novel. Yeah. And my partners found that word of mouth you know, is key for that. Yes, and I'm, I'm sure in your area there are a lot of book festivals and places that you can go and, and uh, promote your books as well. Are there any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? I think my, um, well, certainly my experience for those who wish to write memoir, the six-month memoir writing course was excellent and helped me a lot. Um, I also early on started to attend writers' conferences, and of course it was during the pandemic because I started my writing just before. And so I virtually attended um, the Pacific Northwest Writers' Conference, the Las Vegas Writers' Conference, um, and, uh, and I'm still, uh, next month I'm going to the Tucson Festival of Books and to be on a panel and then to the Tennessee Williams Saints and Sinners Writers Conference. So I think those are very helpful. A lot of the courses are really good. And probably most importantly, it allowed me to make contacts that helped me in my writing. I had one of um, the presenters at the Pacific Northwest Writers Conference 
uh, do a sensitivity read on my book uh, because, you know, I'm 72 years old and maybe I'm not as woke as I could be <laughs> at times. So I wanted to have that done. And I also, um, you know, met other authors who were, uh, who served as beta readers for me. I think that's really important. And that probably plays into your love of editing too, is, you know, when we have several editors, then we receive uh, information that's different from each one. You know, when I was editing my book, every editor that I I used gave me a, a different idea or different format or what I should be doing differently. So I kind of got hooked on the editing process. Mm -hmm. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the passages you've brought to share today and then read from your book so we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Okay. Why don't I read the preface, which gives you an idea of what the book is about. So, um, No Signposts in the Sea, the title of one of Vita Sackville West's books, sums up my experience studying and training to be a doctor in the early 1970s before Title IX, which prohibited discrimination in education based on sex. As only one of five women in a class of 100 in Salt Lake City, and the only woman in my internship in Boston, I encountered few, if any, female role models that could affirm my ambition or provide encouragement. Tossed around in the rough seas of medical training, chronically exhausted and emotionally drained, I yearned to have a stable love relationship that would offer the same care and support my male colleagues seemed to find in their wives and girlfriends. Though I loved women, the only model of relationship I knew was heteronormative. My exposure to the women's movement in Boston in the 1970s taught me female eroticism was cause for celebration, but it provided few role models on how to sustain relationship with a woman beyond desire. Being open with such love also threatened my ambition to become a doctor. This book is the story of how I navigated those seas without signposts, tossed by the tempest, battered, but never broken. Oh, that's wonderful. So by way of background, um, throughout my medical training, my, my longest term relationship was, with, was a platonic friendship with a uh, fellow medical student. And... Um, who was uh, a man, a gay man. And uh, so we suffered. We had just suffered through a, a grueling, horrendous internship in Boston uh, in 75-76. Uh, and we decided to treat ourselves during the break before residency by going to New York for our first gay Pride Parade and for the Bicentennial Celebration in 1976. So this is the excerpt. It was the summer of 1976. David and I traveled by train to New York for the Gay Pride Parade. It had been only seven years since Stonewall, the 1969 riot that propelled the gay rights movement forward. That day, 
we waved jauntily to a busload of tourists from Kansas who were hanging out the windows and snapping pictures of us in our rainbow t-shirts and tiaras. The mood was upbeat and joyous, the attire outrageous and colorful. David and I marched in front of a float of drag queens dressed in gowns of reflective mirrored sequins. Huge speakers blared Donna Summers' Love to Love You, Baby. We were swept up in the moment, singing along and laughing, gay and proud, our arms around each other's shoulders. Among the crowd, I saw smiling faces, people of all ages waving rainbow flags and giving us a thumbs up. Then David squeezed my shoulder. Oh, God, Patricia, they're filming us for the TV news. I flinched, remembering we had to hide our private lives at work. The year of the Stonewall Uprising was the same year I came out of the closet as a lesbian in San Francisco. Then I had to hide in the closet in medical school in Salt Lake City, and again during my difficult internship. It had been challenging being in the minority as a woman, let alone as a lesbian, training to be a physician. For this one day, our first gay pride parade, we could freely announce to the world who we were and rebel with other gays and lesbians with pride. The hell with hiding. I stepped in front of the camera. Wow, Patricia, that is so vivid. Your descriptions are wonderful. Thank you. Was there anything that you edited out of the book? There was. In the, in the early, well, I grew up in the 60s, came of age in the 60s. And in Arizona, where I grew up at that time, um, being a lesbian was considered one of the worst things that could befall you. <laughs> and um, so I tried hard to be straight, and I dated men. And I, I left out some of that um, and, and included, I, di I did include that which served the story and made my point, but I edited out, edited out some of that. And uh, uh, I can't think of um, the other thing that happens during edited, you know, when I first started writing, it was all the first draft was all what happened, what happened, what happened. And of course, that's not what memoir is about. It's about, um, uh, you know, how did you change? Uh, how, what transition did you go through? And what did you learn along the way? So I had to edit out a little bit of that, you know, just what happened. What does writing success mean to you personally? That's a good question. I got sidetracked right after my, my book launch in October. Um, I started looking at, <laughs> it was very frustrating initially because um, for some reason unknown to me, uh, Amazon blocked my reviews right after my launch for about three weeks. And uh, even from verified purchasers, and I couldn't figure it out. But um, and I was looking at them obsessively when they started allowing them, you know, late October, early November. And 
Um, and so I was looking at them and I was looking at my uh, sales figures, which she writes, gives you once a week if you ask for them. And, uh, and then I, and looking at Author Central, and then I realized, I reminded myself that that's not why I wrote the book. You know, I wrote the book um, to, to reach people who, to, re, to reassure people, readers, um, that they're, they're not alone and um, to inspire them to follow their dreams and live an authentic life. You know, it wasn't to, you know, uh, look at my, uh, to get glorious reviews or um, compete with other authors. <laughs> it, was, it was for that. And so I stopped, it, you know, the first of the year, my resolution was I'm not looking at reviews or sales reports or any of that. I'm just going to, um, uh, re just revel in the feedback that I was getting on my website and um, my social media from readers who were inspired by the book, who you know found things in the book that validated their experience or uh, made them feel less alone, which was my goal in the first. I think that's my favorite part of writing a book is hearing from readers who aren't your family or aren't your right. friends, just strangers who found your book and are so inspired by your truth. Yes. I'm always interested in those of you who choose to write under a pseudonym. What inspired you to do so? <laughs> well, it wasn't inspiration. I mean, part of it was, um, you know, my, my partner and some of my friends um, just couldn't understand why I'd want to write about my intimate life for public consumption. Not only that, but I wrote about a period in my life that doesn't show me in the best light. Um, I was a flawed and complicated young woman struggling to figure out what I wanted in a personal in a relationship. And, um, you know, my friends were concerned that uh, readers would uh, think that I'm the same person now, which of course I'm not, <laughs> thankfully, 40 years later. Um, and also my partner, as I said, is a very private person. So I think initially it was a concession to my partner and also actually for myself. Um, and also to certain characters in my book. Um, one of my characters is a woman, 80 now, who has been married to a man for 30 years, and he doesn't know about our relationship, and she would prefer that he didn't. We're still good friends. We see each other periodically, and I'm friends with him. So that, that you know, was another reason to publish under a pseudonym. However, it makes uh, you know marketing difficult. I did put my picture on the book. I've done a dozen or so podcasts and interviews with video. Um, I think, yeah, really, I'm pretty much out there after all. Yes, I, I felt the same way when I was writing my book. Of, even though it's fiction, it had a thread of memoir running through it. And 
my birth mother was uh, still alive at the time and she had a family and she had not told her family about giving me up for adoption. So I was trying to be a little private in those areas as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Patricia, as always, our last interview question is our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? I do, which is just to write, you know, um, put down the what happened, what happened, what happened, because you have a rich life experience and don't filter it, you know, dig deeper and deeper for the real story Um, and write as if no one else is going to see it. Um, Once you do that, you can, if you don't have the skills to, to write, a narrative that reads like a novel that um, uh, you know that people would could get into. Go get those skills. You know you can learn the craft. Writers are not born. That you know you can learn it. You can learn how to write. And um, people want to hear your story. And hopefully you're at the point in life where you can, you know you you don't care as much about what people think. You've got rich experience. And not only that, but it's really good for your brain. It really is. I think that's great advice. And I think that so many of us, once we've written these books, it's become a therapy for us. And you've led such an interesting life and had such unique and and not so unique experiences that you can share with, with so many others. So we just appreciate your being with us here today. And we're happy to now count you among our authors over 50. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.